You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We decided to name Tanner Lee as our starting quarterback, and we're excited about that. Tanner won the job, but he won it with great competition with uh, from from Patrick O'Brien and and great work from from the next the next guy, Tristan Jebbia. We feel like the Husker quarterback position is in good hands right now, and, and those guys made it a tough decision, but we are thrilled with the group and excited about Tanner starting as our quarterback. I don't know that there's any magic to it, but I do know that we did not want to carry it out into fall camp. I didn't really want to start fall camp making that the story. The story is out right now. Uh, everybody can sit on it, including our team and our quarterbacks, and we can prepare and basically enter fall camp without any drama at that position. And that starts us off here on this week's edition of the Husker Online Show. Hi, Sean Callahan here, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus, and that was head coach Mike Riley Wednesday night on the Husker Sports Network um, uh, giving his comments after his Twitter announcement that Tanner Lee will be Nebraska's starting quarterback. And that was really Kind of a big question following Nebraska's red-white spring game. Uh, when and how would Mike Riley make the starting announcement on who's on his quarterback? And I think everybody kind of knew it was going to be Tanner Lee, but we live in kind of a crazy, sensitive transfer world of college athletics where if you, if you don't handle things the right way or, or do things the right way, you always risk something happening. Well, um, I think they went through this process they gave both Tanner Lee and Patrick O'Brien every equal opportunity. In fact, Patrick O'Brien even started the spring game with the number one offense. So uh, they almost not by design, but really gave him uh, a fair shake at this thing. They laid down the tangible evidence uh, of both quarterbacks and their body of works this spring, and they could show that to him. And they, they met with him this week, and um, you know they they let Tanner Lee know he's the guy. They let Patrick O'Brien know he's the number two. I don't think anybody's surprised. Um, I think Robin maybe the biggest surprise was just kind of how sudden it dropped while we were, we were all eating our dinner on Wednesday nights. Yeah, it's, it doesn't seem like a very Mike Riley moved at 5.30 on a Wednesday night to just go on a three-tweet uh, <laughs> uh, news-breaking rant there. But, uh, you know, hey, welcome, welcome to 2017. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, we've all been saying all along um, how Nebraska has handled this perfectly. Um, from start to finish. Uh, the fact that they kept the competition open, um, they made it uh, as literal of a 50-50 battle um, as you possibly could, where it came down to a coin flip to open spring, and then they alternated every other day. Um, uh, so, I mean, the, the, the way they played this out this spring, I don't think they could have handled it any better. And, you know, they were able to get through spring without kind of you know, I guess making that the, the focal point as much as possible and then, you know, let it marinate for a few days, uh, went and reviewed the, the spring in its entirety, um, didn't get caught up in the emotion of the spring game or anything like that, uh, and, and made a decision. And I think that was the right way to do it because now uh, everybody's going into the summer kind of knowing what the deal is with this offense and the pecking order at quarterback. And um, now, like, like he said, they eliminated any drama um, when they do return for fall camp and um, everybody kind of knows um, – you know, the lay of the land a little bit. So um, just a, another um, instance of this staff handling this thing about as perfectly as you possibly could have expected. Yeah, initially I was 
I was kind of banking on this bleeding into fall camp at least and, and kind of at least ongoing for the first week or two of fall camp. But, um, you know, I really like the way that they handled it, doing it now, doing it after s- spring ball where they're able to, to review all the film and, and look at all the charts because every single pass that either one of these two guys threw – all, all spring long was charted and graded and, um, and I like the fact that you can lay it all out there and make a decision and then you know the big thing for me having a decision now is that Tanner Lee can be that guy to kind of you know be looked at as the leader heading into um, you know off-season workouts and, and that's as we all know that that's a very important part of of this team and and uh, you know of everyone's progression going into fall camp but especially when you have a guy at that quarterback position that is going to be the leader a guy that that's going to be a voice during this offseason I, I think that's that's big to have so um, and, and the, I also like the way that Mike Riley kind of ended it with some of those tweets when he's said you know this competition is still ongoing um you know it was it was a great competition but it's it's still ongoing and I truly do believe that because uh I I think that Patrick O'Brien even though he did not win the starting job I feel like I feel like he probably was much closer than a lot of people ever thought that he would be so uh this isn't going to be something that you know, where he just kind of fades off into the sunset and you never really hear about Patrick O'Brien again. I think I think that uh, there's going to be a time, a point in time, where Patrick O'Brien uh, is going to be needed this fall. And, and, you know, you hope that it's not because of a serious injury or anything like that, but uh, certainly he's right there, right there behind Tanner Lee. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show, Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, Nate Klaus. And don't you guys think that really he's the key to this whole thing? you got to make – I mean, you knew Jebbio was fine with his role – if Lee won, you know, kind of had a good feeling about Lee, but I, O'Brien was really, to me, what this was all about, just to make sure he was given a fair shake and 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 this thing was handled properly with him where uh, we've seen it all over the country where if a guy loses the job, they start working the phones and trying to find a new school to go to. And uh, the bottom line is history tells you you're going to probably have your quarterback get hurt at least at some point during a 12-game season, whether it's for one series, one half, one quarter. You need both these guys uh, in order for Nebraska to be successful here on offense in 2017. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to uh, why, again, the way that they handled this was about as well as you could hope. Uh, I mean, because both these guys, I think, you know, when the season rolls around, will be game ready. And so they're not going to be really a noticeable drop off at all. Uh, Like Nate mentioned, that competition was extremely close. And, and, you know, I don't think it was just kind of a a deal to just keep Patrick happy uh, so he doesn't transfer. I think that they really think that he had a legitimate shot to push for that job and they wanted to give him the opportunity. So, I mean, that played a role and, you know, Patrick played really, really well. So I think that it's an extremely good problem to have. Uh, when you have two guys that could be your starting quarterback without much difference between the two. Uh, and so um, the, the one thing that I think that it came down to is Tanner Lee just has that experience factor that Patrick just hasn't had a chance to have yet. Um, so, I mean, that, that's that's one thing that you really can't, you know, simulate in practice reps, but you got to give Patrick a lot of credit, not only for the way that, you know, he competed this spring, uh, but for the way he, he took that news. Um, you know, after, you know, about 20 minutes after Mike Riley broke the news, 
Patrick O'Brien tweeted that it's all part of God's plan. And so I think that he's taken this all in stride. And um, like Mike Riley mentioned, this competition isn't over. They, they named Tanner Lee the starter going into the summer. But those guys are going to keep battling on through the fall and probably on through the rest of the season. And not to be lost in the discussion, Nate, is Tristan Jebbia, um, not necessarily for next year, but, man, for the future. I mean, you can make an argument that his freshman early enrollee spring is the best by far we've ever seen from any early enrollee freshman, let alone a quarterback. And uh, I was talking to a couple – I ran into a couple of players last night on campus, and they were joking about he comes out there – with that number three or four type offense opening drive and marches it right down on the starting defense. And these guys were like, holy cow, like we got, we got to be ready to go. I mean, this kid is the real deal and we're only seeing the beginning of what he could maybe be someday, Nate. Absolutely. I, I've never seen a, an early enrollee quarterback look as comfortable, know the, know the offense as well as he does, look as comfortable running it on the field. You know, usually you, you see, you know, the, those freshman type mistakes, whether it's not knowing uh, your reads or, or, or just, to, you know, simple things like getting the, the ball uh, from the center, the, you know, the center quarterback exchange problems. You know, you never really saw that. You never really saw that, uh, that this moment was bigger. Than, than he was and of course we've all heard about how much of a of a you know kind of a gym rat he is how he's always in the film room he's always studying he's always you know going that extra mile probably the last kid to always leave the those football offices at night so uh, yeah I think that uh, he had an extremely impressive spring considering his age and really just kind of gave us all a glimpse of, of what could be uh, after you know after this red shirts year and um, he's definitely going to make things pretty interesting next year i believe nate you thought about it but you did not go to the uh, this is a kid that should be getting ready for a senior no. prom analogy it was in your mind i could feel it it was back there but i i i did i put that filter on before i came to, to tape this i put the this kid should be in prom filter on so the most overused early enrollee analogy ever all right well we come back we're going to discuss more of the red white spring game obviously lots of recruiting as we'll close the show with that and take questions in the mailbag but we want to talk more offensive storylines next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I really like this team. I really like this team. I, I think that uh, we're going to have to continue to grow. And when you're talking about putting in a whole new defense and then making it come alive in the games and having it be good, so we're going to have a lot of growth with a lot of thought going into what we do in fall camp. I think I think this team has the makings of a good team, but we need some of those parts to rise up to be great. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was head coach Mike Riley following Nebraska's red-white spring game. This is overall feel and kind of broad brush view of where this team is at Coming out of the spring, Sean Callahan, Robin Washhead, and Nate Klaus here as we're going to talk some offensive storylines. And we've hit on the quarterbacks already um, and kind of where that stands here coming out of the spring. I uh, wanted to start this discussion off with the running back position and, and just the running offense in general. I think that has been a big concern um, really throughout the spring. We've talked about it a lot on this show, on the website um, just kind of where Nebraska is at as a rushing attack. Uh, realistically, I mean, there's a chance that they could go three straight years without a 1,000-yard running back um, here at Nebraska. That has not happened 
since 1974 to 1976, and that was the pre-kind of downhill rushing era offense. They were more of a balanced attack in those days. So um, it is an interesting debate. Can this team really produce a 1,000-yard rusher? You definitely get the sense Trey Bryant would be the candidate if it is. Uh, they've kind of groomed him and looked at him, I believe, Robin, as their number one running back here all throughout the spring. Yeah, and I don't necessarily know if they will have a 1,000-yard running back. And I don't know if that's you know necessarily a reflection on the the quality of the running game. I think that you have three backs that all bring something different to the table. And so I think that they're going to, there's going to be a heavy rotation um you know depending on the down and situation uh, and all all three of those guys are going to have particular roles and that can be a good thing. Um obviously the staff has said year in year out that they want a feature workhorse running back but I don't see that player in this group. Um, you know, I mean, Trey Bryant may be the closest, but uh, I mean, he by no means locked that job up um, going into the spring or coming out of the spring. And so um, it's it's an ongoing fluid situation. And it's going to be interesting to see um, just kind of how it all shakes out once the season gets underway. But the good news is, I mean, while they don't have one guy, they have three guys that I think all uh, can be productive. And we saw that in the spring game. I mean, Trey Bryant, you know, he only played about two series in that, in that spring game, but his first two carries he picked up 27 yards uh and then you know Mikael Wilbon showed the his versatility and what he can bring in the passing game you know catching a touchdown pass and uh Devino Zigbo maybe had his best practice of the spring in the spring game um looked more like the the, the guy that we um, had come to know in, in previous years that kind of power grinded out type back so while they may not you know uh, be able to end that streak of years without a thousand yard rusher I do think that the running game can be productive uh with this kind of three-headed uh tree that they have um, that, that but all you kind of still need one to, to take and I think ownership. Trey Bryant's that guy but at the same time I mean like I said if you know I think each player is going to have its his individual role and kind of packages and so I don't know if the opportunity is going to be there to, to reach the thousand yard mark yeah I was you know I think the one thing you you really wanted to see heading into the spring or coming out of the spring was for the for one of those running backs to kind of take that position by the horns and and you could really put that put that bell cow on that guy and say okay this is the one who's going to take us into the fall and and uh, you know be someone we could really lean on but you know it just really did not happen I, I think that uh, Trey Bryan could be one of those guys but um, the good thing is is like you were saying Robin I think there's three capable running backs there and I'm not putting a whole lot of stock into just the spring game um, and what we saw out of these guys in terms of you know that directly correlating into what uh, next fall is going to look like because obviously the I think different teams that Nebraska faces are are going to kind of maybe predicate who who gets the the hot hand or who kind of leads the leads the charge you know as the game change kind of changes so um, but uh, so it does give you some flexibility there but um, I, to me I almost wonder do, you know do they want to have one of these guys step up and and be that you know that kind of that bell cow running back to to where they can kind of just count on them for uh, for being a three down back or are they comfortable kind of saying okay this is your role this is you know when we when we go in this personnel this is what we're wanting to do with you and and when we're in when we're in this situation this is what we're wanting to do with you and uh you know when we're really wanting to work the the screen game and the draw game this is you know this is your 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 gig here so um i think those are questions that i still have is okay what what exactly does the staff want uh you know for these for 
for these groups of running backs because um, it is a talented group. It's just lacking that that one you know no brainer type of type of player where that can do everything for the Huskers. Well, and, and nobody's really had that opportunity. I mean, I think to an extent, Divino Zigbo did, where he got a lot of carries, but. Trey Bryan and Mikel Wilbon have yet to even have a game where they've been featured, you know, primarily, you know, and it was going to be that way for Bryant by the bowl game, but he got hurt. Um, so I think that's that's what we don't know right now is the unknown. You know, none of these two guys, Wilbon and Bryant, have really taken a work a workman like load of carries in a game. And, you know, that that might be all it takes. I mean, with Amir Abdullah, we saw flashes his freshman year. Uh, but you really didn't know how good he was until Rex Burkhead got hurt, and then Abdullah started getting a ton of carries his sophomore year, and then obviously it paved the way for his big junior and senior season. So um, some of it is we just don't know. And I think the other questions, guys, uh, with his offense, surround that offensive line. Um, is it as clear and cut as that kind of experienced five guys being the starting five with Cole Conrad at center, Trey, or uh, Gerald Foster and Tanner Farmer at your guards, David Neville and Nick Gates at tackle? Or do you guys see a Bo Wilson having a chance to win a guard job? Could a Michael Decker still come up and win a center job? Could a Matt Farniak win the tackle job? I mean, how do you really assess this offensive line situation coming out of the spring? I will almost guarantee Bo Wilson will see the field. Um, they will rotate because he's just played too well to just have him watch from the sideline. I mean, this is a guy that almost played last year as a true freshman, and that says basically everything you, do, you need to know about how good the staff thinks he is. And, um, you know, Danny Langsdorf in his last interview before the spring game, you know, even mentioned that Bo Wilson is giving Tanner Farmer everything he can handle at that right guard spot. So that, that that's far from a settled deal right now. Obviously, Farmer's got a lot more experience, but uh, with the way Bo Wilson has been playing this spring, uh, that is far from uh, a finished competition and um, you know I don't know if he's going to end up winning the starting job but he will see the field because uh, I expect them to rotate at that position yeah I think for now we're going to see you know those top five guys be the be the main the main ones but definitely uh, will not be surprised to see Bo Wilson get a lot of reps get a lot of playing time and even Matt Farniak I, I won't be surprised if they continue to maybe try to weave him in there here and there because uh, those were the two the main two players uh, whether it was the coaches talking about him or, or other players along the line saying hey Bo Wilson and Matt Farniak has, have both had great springs uh, and have really pushed us a lot this spring so I, I think that uh, you're going to continue to see the staff try to um, you know, force the issue with as far as development goes with those two guys because they're going to need both of those guys probably you know here in the, the next season uh, to really step up and, and maybe take over some spots. So um, I like the depth that they're starting to create there. Um, you know, the, the line in general is probably still a year away in my opinion, but it should definitely be better than what we saw this past season. Why is it, guys, that you know? It, I just get the sense when people when you say it's going to be kind of that starting five of those returning players of the experience you almost get like a frustration on the Red Seas girls with fans like they just want to see everything flipped over in a new almost starting group on this offensive line well it's be no one wants to wait you know Nebraska all every all everyone talked about was this group of players that Nebraska signed this past you know two years ago how how good John Raritan and Bo Wilson and Matt Farniak and Brian Brokop how good of a group that was well you know, it still takes time, especially along the lines. I mean, how how many times do you see a true freshman just step in right away and, and play? It just does not happen.
happen very often. These guys, it takes time to adjust to the college football game, and physically it takes time to adjust to be able to play in the Big Ten up front, um, whether it's on offense or defense. And so I think by the time a kid's second year in the program rolls around, you're going to have a pretty good idea if they're on the right track to being uh, to being a, a guy who's going to contribute in their career or not. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to shift our discussion over to defensive storylines as we really didn't learn a whole lot about Bob Biakko and his defense in the red-white spring game. That was to be expected. We'll give our thoughts, though, on where this defense came after 15 practices. That's next year. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, this game now with being on TV like it is just becomes another evaluation scouting tool for all of our opponents next year. So there was no way we wanted to do anything that was out of the box at all. We certainly didn't want them to see what blitzes, all the different fronts, all the stuff that we practiced all spring. I don't want that on tape for somebody. So, it, I mean, it, I mean, it was basic. It was stuff that we installed early and that we continuing to work on. But yeah, I mean, we just wanted to work on tackling, you know, uh, leverage, you know, stuff that's important to, to playing good defense. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was head coach Mike Riley and senior linebacker Chris Weber as they discussed the very vanilla defensive game plan that included no 3-4 looks uh, by defensive coordinator Bob Diaco, even though Nebraska will run a 3-4 system in 2017. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus here as uh, we're going to talk defensive storylines. I thought it was interesting um, after the spring game, Big Ten Network did like their you know, studio show wrapping up the four spring games from Saturday in there. And uh, Jerry DiNardo actually commented that um, he was surprised how to the extreme Nebraska took not showing anything in their spring game, particularly on defense. He goes, typically you would just show like your base front and then maybe don't do anything at all with it. But in this case, Nebraska took it to another level where they basically ran Mark Banker's 4-3 look. I mean, it wasn't Mark Banker. They're going to run some 4-3 with this scheme. Um, you heard Chris Weber say they installed a lot of that stuff at the very, very beginning. But it was an interesting approach um, by Mike Riley. I think it was probably more Bob Diaco's doing Robin than anything. Yeah, and we're starting to learn more and more that uh, he's a guy that – uh, anything that he can not show people uh, outside of the program, uh, the better. So I think that's going to become a common theme with him that um, we're going to keep things under wraps here uh, because they they uh, put a lot of priority on that competitive advantage of, of secrecy. And with your, one of the good things about having a complete overhaul of your defense is no one knows what to expect from it. Um, I mean, you can look back at old film of what he did with previous teams, but um, as of now, no one you know outside of Nebraska has seen what this defense is going to look like with this personnel and how they're going to utilize certain players and um, I guess you know that's kind of uh, the the price you pay with the coverage spring games get nowadays is um, you know it's almost become a disadvantage to really kind of you know display what your you know system is actually going to look like and so you know I don't blame Mike Riley and Bob Diaco for for wanting um, to to show as little as possible uh, on Saturday but it's certainly disappointing for the fans you know I mean there were a lot of people that came out to, to get their first look at the defense and uh, they really didn't get a look at much at all um, I think they I think Chris Weber said they they blitzed one time no, they had one blitz in one blitz in and I don't think it was used there you go yeah so so there you go uh, I mean you, that is as vanilla as you could possibly get it but uh, as as they said that was definitely by design and I, I would say probably get used to that uh, going forward 
Yeah, I have no. I've got no issue with it. I, I feel like if you do have an advantage these days, you're, you're silly to to go ahead and give it away. Um, you know, not saying that they would have given a, too much away by by you know simply lining up in their three four in the base defense, but at the same time, it does you know kind of. Um, you know, you don't give your opponents a chance to to get a, a, a handle on personnel, maybe, or or certain you know the way you line up against certain certain looks that the offense is giving you for the next three or four months or whatever. So um, I totally get it. I, I um, you know I was a little surprised initially, but you know after after seeing it the way that it was on Saturday, uh, you know it makes sense. And and I think that uh, you know like I said, if you got that ace up your sleeve. Why give it away now? Um, what well, Oregon's not going to show their new stuff probably either. Yeah. You know, with Willie Taggart and, and everything, they're going to be doing new. So I think it's really as much about early on Oregon week two. You don't want to give Oregon any leg up in their preparation yep. with that game being so early. Yeah, I agree. And so, I mean, like I said, that that's the plan. And I think that that's something you're going to have to um, prepare yourselves for, that uh, this is a staff that is not going to give um, anything out there uh, unnecessarily. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll all find out with, you know, everybody else, you know, what this defense actually looks like, I'm sure, when the, the first game rolls around in September. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as we discuss defensive storylines and I want to talk about a player guys that really you know if you were to maybe say this guy had one of the more surprising springs from wire to wire of anybody I think Luke Gifford um, would be that guy Um, he came in under the radar he's played limited snaps the last two seasons he's going into his fourth year as a junior he redshirted his first year he's up to 240 he's really been one of the big winners in this scheme change where he had an interception, I believe, a fumble strip and a fumble recovery in the red-white game. Um, if you were to hand out a game ball, I think he would have got the game ball for the defense. And you can make a real strong case that Luke Gifford could end up beating out Marcus Newby. If not, it could be as much of a 50-50 deal where they're both going to play a lot of snaps next year. It's it's crazy how uh, Luke Gifford looks like a Big Ten linebacker now. Um, you mentioned his weight, you know, being up to about 240 now. Uh, he doesn't look like a defensive back out there. I mean, he looks like he belongs. And uh, right now, he is giving a consensus four-star player everything he can handle for a starting job. Uh, and that really kind of just goes to show how much, uh, like you said, Sean, this this change in defense has benefited uh, him personally. Uh, he feels as comfortable as he's ever felt um you know, just playing, you know, the linebacker position, uh, and we've seen it. Uh, he's been as consistent of a player in that group as, you know, any of the linebackers, and he makes plays. We saw it in the spring game, a one-handed interception, two or a forced fumble and a fumble recovery, two tackles for loss. Uh, the guy was everywhere. And, I mean, there, there, there's a reason why uh, Bob Diaco, who uh, really doesn't give out praise very easily, um, you know, basically kind of gleamed over uh, Gifford's play and said that he will be an impactful player on this defense. So regardless if he starts or not, he will see the field and he will see the field a lot uh, in this 3-4 scheme. Well, talk about it making an impact with you know with a club on his yeah. on his hand with you know broken hand, so he's got this big awkward club all wrapped up. He, he was able to to uh, you know pull in that interception and, and create a fumble, recover that fumble. I mean, I'd. I think it's easy to say that he may have had the most most productive quote unquote game as we've seen 
um, you know, him have obviously, but maybe even more so than, than Marcus Newby has ever had. Um, you know, Newby's had his moments throughout his career at Nebraska, but, uh, I think that that's a battle that, um, has, uh, has really continued to to kind of emerge and um, and I feel like Gifford's abilities, his skill set there is uh, you know as having that background as being able to cover and mm-hmm. operate in space and um, has and now that he's actually you know 240 pound guy, I, I think that uh, he's just going to continue to flourish there. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we discuss defensive storylines that came out of the Red White Spring game and. You know, the, the defensive line itself, you know, Carlos Davis, um, Mick Stoltenberg, Freedom Makamalo, and those guys all had, you know, strong springs. But I think you got to throw Khalil Davis in there as well. He had, um, just like Lou Gifford, a really, really strong spring game. Um, you know, he's going to factor in. I'll be also curious, Nate, on the recruits. I mean, do you how many of those defensive line recruits realistically do you see playing and I'll put guy Thomas in there as an outside linebacker. So there's four guys coming in, um, Damian Daniels, Deontre Thomas, Deontay Watts, and then guy Thomas. How many of those guys do you think are going to play? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, probably three of them play. Uh, wow. Three. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm, uh, I'm not expecting all, you know, three guys to play, but I won't be surprised if, three guys legitimately push for for playing time or, or Damian Daniels being Damian for, Daniels probably being the the number one uh, guy and, and I think DeAndre Thomas in my opinion is not far behind him I think uh, both of those two guys and then just with as athletic as Guy Thomas is I think he brings something that's a little bit different to the team that, that they really don't have so um, you know in and to be honest with you I think best case scenario for all three of those guys at least first you know, initially is, is, uh, kind of creating a niche, you know, just having a, having a, an opportunity in a package or, or in certain situations, uh, during a game. So I'm not expecting them to, to learn the entire defense in, in a month or over the summer and being able to, to, uh, insert themselves into the game right off the bat. But I think that they have the talent to, to not redshirt more or less. So, uh, so we'll see what happens there, but they are getting some more bodies there up front, and then uh, of course with Guy Thomas working in that uh, in that linebacking core. Well, that will be interesting to see how that all plays out. When we come back, we're going to take your questions in the mailbag. Husker Online intern Matt's, uh, uh, Matt Reynoldson is in studio, and and we'll have your questions here next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I mean, we're teammates first, so we're going to both be supportive of each other and everything we do. Um, he, I mean, every single time either one of us threw a touchdown, we were the first people to give each other a high five. So he's a great guy. He's a great quarterback. So it's just making us both better. And we're both competitors, and we're just we're good people. So, I mean, we've got a good relationship. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. And we bring in our intern, Matt Reynoldson, as you just heard from Patrick O'Brien Uh, giving his thoughts on just the relationship he has with quarterback Tanner Lee. But it's that time of the show where we take your questions in the mailbag. And uh, we've got a lot of questions, recruiting, spring game related. Matt, what do you have for us this week? Well, we touched on it a little bit in the first segment, but were you surprised at all at the timing of Coach Riley's revelation of the starting QB? No, after especially hearing the thoughts that he's done it both ways and going into fall camp really builds up an unnecessary storyline. And, you know, I, I even think, 
you know, for the outsiders that aren't around it like we are, there was a narrative that this was really going to be some drag it out battle. I mean, I listened to Howard Griffin on the Big Ten Network on their studio show make the analogy that this battle between Lee and O'Brien could go all the way into fall camp. And and I'm like, no, it's not gonna. I mean, and so I think he wanted to get that narrative out the window. And and that's exactly why he acted so swiftly on this decision. Yeah. And, you know, he he hinted at it, you know, throughout the spring and then kind of reiterated the fact uh, when, after he made the announcement that, uh, you know, they've done it before where they let this a competition at the quarterback position draw out. And in fact, there was one year at Oregon State where they didn't announce a guy or the starter until the week before the first game. And Mike Riley said he would never wants to do that ever again. So uh, we knew it was going to be before fall camp. In fact, you know, Danny Langsdorf even said, yes, we will have it done before August. So, uh, you know, you knew it was coming before camp. Um, I guess the thing that was most surprising again is uh, the fact that you know Mike Riley took to Twitter to break the announcement. That's that's got to be a first for Nebraska football. Yeah, that was the biggest surprise to me is that uh, you know I got a notification on my phone that, <laughs> <laughs> that Mike Riley was tweeting about the the quarterback competition being settled. So uh, I, I was not expecting that. I maybe expected a press release or um, you know you know some sort of for it to come out in a different way than Mike Riley's tweets. I've got one theory on that. I think there's something said to, you know, helping out the Husker Sports Network, kind of throwing them a bone. And by the timing of that announcement, um, it kind of makes it more exclusive to their own in-house network. And I think there was there was some strategy uh, probably with Dave Witte and, and the Nebraska folks behind that, that like, you know what, let's let's give our show a reason for people to have to listen to it and hear Mike Riley discuss that. So um, it will be interesting to see if we'll see more of that stuff here going forward. Mitch Sherman tweeted about it, actually. He said, that's the first Husker QB decision announced over Twitter since the Cleet Blakeman quarterback battle of 1986. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. All right, moving on. Over under on Tanner Lee touchdown passes in 2017. This guy has 35. Oh, that's a lot. Um, uh, Let's just just say 12 games – if you threw through, I mean, I think, what do you say, 35? Yep. I mean, I would say 32, 31, 32 is kind of where I said. I mean, it, that's a lot of touchdown passes. I mean, averaging three a game would be, you know, that would lead the Big Ten almost in a lot of years. Yeah, so the over-under 35, I'm taking the under all day. Uh, 35, that's that's a lot. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think you're 30 is probably wishful thinking. Um, I think that, that would be an extremely good season if he gets to that that benchmark. So uh, to think 35 is, you know, your, your cutoff point, I think, is a little bit uh, overly optimistic. Go, yeah. o- go over, Nate. Come on. Well, no, I'm not. Gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to be that guy. How about if, I, how about a 13 or 14 games? Well, 35? well, yeah, I think 14 games. Yeah, they, 14 yes. games. You could. Yeah, you could see that. I. I would take the under. I think maybe like twenty seven, twenty eight would be a more realistic over under. But uh, yeah, I'm taking the the under on thirty five. Interesting recruiting question here. Kind of taking a historical look. Has there ever been a prospect that Nebraska's passed on that you didn't think they should have? Maybe a Harrison Phillips from Millard West. Well, Drew like Drew Ott would be the initial yeah, I mean, yeah. one that I think leads a conversation. If you're going to go way back. Danny Woodhead, but listen, here's what happened. They were only going to take one running back that year, and they decided that you know they're going to take Brandon Jackson, who ended up being a second round NFL draft pick. Danny Woodhead went undrafted. I mean, Danny Woodhead's obviously been a better pro and had a great Division two career, but I still don't think you can criticize Nebraska for taking a second round pick, Brandon Jackson, that year over Danny Woodhead for the one lone spot they were taking a running back at. 
Yeah, and, and I would have to say, um, just in recent memory, you know, Drew Ott, um, you know, the way that they ha- kind of handled the Harrison Phillips recruitment was— Because they offered him. They offered him, but they didn't really go all that hard on recruiting him. You know what I mean? So, um, I mean, those were those are a couple yeah, a couple guys right there that, that immediately come to mind. I'll flip it to basketball. Uh, there's a couple guys playing up north that I think Nebraska could stand to use. Justin Patton's the easy one, but I think the one that really bites Nebraska, I mean, Justin Patton's going to Creighton no matter what. The one that really bites Nebraska is Kyrie Thomas. Um, they had an opportunity to recruit him out of high school. Obviously, um, he had some academic things he needed to clear up, but went to prep school for a year, and then Nebraska basically shut it off. He goes to Creighton, and now he's a, a fixture in that lineup. I thought so you were going to pull out a Mike Darm on us. Nah, nah, no. Nah. South Dakota State almost ran him off, so I don't blame Nebraska for for not taking that. But uh, Kyrie Thomas, that's the one where I think that, you know, you look at a guy that could have made an instant impact on this team uh, that Nebraska had a chance, a legitimate chance to get. Uh, that's the one that hurts him the most. Real quick, Robin, is poor Bear Chandler from Central, is he in the mix at all? I know New Mexico just released him. Yeah, they've contacted him. Um, the issue is, you know, if he's going to be academically eligible. Uh, that was a concern, um, you know, for New Mexico, even after they took him. They didn't even know if he was going to be able to qualify. Um, so there's some questions there. Uh, he still has time to, you know, get that stuff figured figured out, but um, Nebraska is doing its due diligence. They're, they've been in contact, and I'm um, just kind of waiting to see where it goes from here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. We're taking your questions here with Matt Reynoldson in the mailbag. Who were the biggest losers during winter and spring conditioning? Like, which players shifted bad weight to good weight after last season? Bad weight to good, like, winners, you mean? or lo- I mean, Winners. Winners, And, and yeah. losers, I guess. <laughs> I, I think... Mick Stoltenberg, I mean, you had to start there. I think Stanley Morgan. I think those two guys, if you were to look at gains, and Luke Gifford, we mentioned his big gains. Those three jump off the page to me. Um, I don't know where you go with losers on this. I mean, that's always a delicate thing. Um, I think Jalen Barnett has always had work to do on his body. I feel like he took some steps forward, but I feel like he's still a ways away from being, you know, Big Ten ready to being a contributor if you were to kind of throw one guy out there that I still think needs to to kind of rise it up a little bit. Well, an easy one for as far as losers go is a guy that admitted himself that he didn't have a very good offseason is Nick Gates. I mean, he lost a bunch of weight. Um, You know, he was up over 300 pounds last year and um, is just still trying to work his way back up to that point. I think he's sitting somewhere around 290. So, um, you know, he obviously, you know, took a step back. But, um, you know, uh, that's part of kind of the, the reason there was concern about him this spring. Um, as far as winners, uh, like another guy we talked about, Luke Gifford, bulking up to 240, uh, and then Muhammad Barry, he's up to about 233. Um, so those two linebackers really made some big strides in bulking up to be Big Ten type uh, bodies uh, at the linebacker position. Yeah, and, and I agree with everyone uh, there, <laughs> but uh, I think maybe another guy that that really surprised me was Michael Decker. I, I think that he made Good some call. some impressive gains um, over the winter and coming into spring ball. Uh, and maybe a guy that that has said that he needs to continue to make some gains is John Raritan. He he's he said in an interview that um, that he still feels like he needs to add some good weight, and that would that would help him uh, at the point of attack there at that center position. So uh, or up front, their center guard, wherever he's at. But um, so yeah, those are two guys that I think uh, Decker good gains and Raritan needing to continue uh, to to make some more. All right, you got time for one more quick one here, Matt, as we wrap it up. Kind of a 
different off the cuff question right here. <laughs> we that, love this. Yeah. Well, it, no, it's it's still on topic though. Since Huddle is headquartered in the Haymarket, does that play a role in recruiting? Can coaches maybe give people a tour of give recruits a tour of Huddle and use that as a recruiting tool? You know, I've heard this mentioned, Nate. Our friend Chuck Johnson has brought this up to me that they should take all recruits into Huddle and, and make that a part. Uh, Chuck Johnson, the former Papillion athletic director, his son Scotty Johnson now runs recruiting for. Texas A&M worked with Nate at Nebraska. That's a quick summary of who that guy is. But um, Huddle itself, I think, um, yeah, it's. I think right now what it serves to me is like when recruits come into town, you can be like, and by the way, you guys know what Huddle is, right? Well, here's their worldwide headquarters. And as that new building gets built and moved into, um, in the is it the fall or the when? It's the fall. The yeah. fall, which is going to be really a landmark in the you know rail yard haymarket area, and you're going to see their presence everywhere even more. There's no doubt, but I don't know, Nate. I mean, could you bring recruits in there as a tour? Um, is that within the rules? Would Huddle even be okay with you know doing that? I mean, I think there's some things that we don't even know the answers to on that. Well, here's the thing: as unofficial visitors, you cannot do it on your own. Um, now, you could tell you could tell the recruits that if they wanted to try and line up a, a tour on their own, they could go over there and see if they could do it. Um, but to, as an unofficial visitor, you cannot take a kid off campus to, to tour something. So um, the coaches wouldn't be able to be present uh, at all or anything. But if it were an official visit, you could take the recruits over there um, and, and have something lined up and, and take them through the headquarters. Now, I know that that's happened on, on, in two different cases. Um, I know that there's been recruits who have personally lined up in, uh, a tour to go over there for an unofficial visit. And I know that some official visitors have taken tour over there and and from what i understand huddle's been more than happy to to kind of show off their their digs and and what they do uh, and what they're all about because obviously these kids are very aware and familiar with what huddle is well if nothing else we could just have our, our own buddy dan hoppin basically lead a guided yep. personalized tour uh, of everything that huddle has to offer and dan has his own podcast now at huddle so yeah. uh, make sure you tune in and listen to that dan could even have some of those recruits on uh, that'd probably be against the rules right Nate? <laughs> You might be in a gray area there. <laughs> right. Just don't challenge Dan on Honest Abe's and Lippy's Barbecue, and you are going to be his best friend. Yep. But, all right, when we come back, that wraps it up here for this segment. We come back, a lot of recruiting to get to. Nate Klaus will close the show with me next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I am, I am energized at this very, very moment about this weekend in total. It is so much fun because we are now seeing uh, some of these young men really understand and see what this place is about and what it can be and having a vision that I have, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's exciting. There's been a lot going on. And then I thought the football day was great, you know, and, and so I am really pumped up about all this. It's a great feeling right now. And like I said, it really has to do, I think, with the continued educating these guys that are out there that are difference makers that feel it. They can feel this whole idea that we have of what, what's going to take place here. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was head coach Mike Riley as he kind of just gave his big thoughts on the recruiting weekend as a whole. Uh, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we wrap up this week's show. And Nate, um, it was as special and magical of a day as Nebraska could have imagined from the amount of recruits that were there, the amount of 2017 signees, the weather forecast uh, topped out over 80 degrees on Saturday, sunny 
Um, it was actually hot at times. I mean, it was you couldn't have drawn up a script in the commits, particularly high-profile four-star commits, led by Buki Radley-Hiles on Friday night, followed by four-star receiver Manuel Allen on Saturday. Um, they continued through Sunday, Nate. Um, could you have drawn it up much better than what you saw? No, you really couldn't have. And, and to Mike Riley's point there, you could definitely feel there's a lot of energy right now surrounding Nebraska football in terms of recruiting. And um, and it all started off on Friday as Buki Radley-Hiles committed and made his announcement public on, on Friday, which really kind of kicked off that entire weekend and, and set the stage for more commitments to come over that weekend and, and really for more to continue to come. I, I think uh, even though we're, we're – kind of in past that that spring game weekend point um you know there's still a handful of kids that are right on the fence uh that could possibly fall towards nebraska at any moment so but uh but getting a kid like buki in the boat uh early on and and then now that he's there uh he's going to be one of those guys that is is going to influence a lot of other decisions going forward uh so uh, you have to kind of tip your hat to, to Nebraska's staff with the way they handled as many high-profile guys as they had on campus. I think uh, they were able to, to give all those guys the, the appropriate amount of attention, which is something that a lot of fans were, were asking, you know, gosh, how, how do you get in front of all these kids? How do you, how do you not uh, uh, kind of you know, make anyone mad by not giving them enough personal attention? But I think from everyone that we've talked to, everyone just w- raved about their entire weekend at Nebraska uh, could not believe the fan support could they could not believe the family atmosphere which I think is you know one one phrase that pretty much every single recruit that we've talked with has has said that they felt um, you know the um, the the talks and the the meetings with with Coach Riley all stand out to all these kids and and they're all buying into this vision that that Mike Riley is is putting out there and talking about what the program is going to become and uh, especially if these recruits kind of jump in the boat and, and get on board with this so uh, very exciting times surrounding. Um, this year's recruiting class and and really on into next year and that that 2019 class already got kicked off with a commitment from Marquez Beeson and there were a ton of underclassmen on campus some of which had been on campus multiple times already and these are big time players that uh, I think you know you have to say Nebraska is probably the leader for and uh, if and when these guys start jumping into the boat um, that 2019 class could could take off real quick. Nate when you break down the commitment of Buki Radley-Hiles, he's the highest-ranked recruit in Nebraska's landed since Banker Steinkuhler in 2008 on the Rivals.com rankings. What type of impact could he have just on this class? And, and I mean, it's even more proof that this Keyshawn Johnson senior connection to Nebraska has paid dividends. I mean, we maybe have never seen uh, one guy kind of serve as the ultimate icebreaker for Husker football to kind of an area of recruits that they really never were able to get before this connection. No, not really. So, I mean, Buki's commitment to, to Nebraska is is huge in two different ways. Um, you know, first and foremost, he is a tremendous athlete. He's an unbelievable player um, that uh, that really is a total package there in terms of his athletic ability, uh, his intelligence on the football field, and just that swagger that he kind of plays with and, and that he brings to the table. So, uh, but in the in the short term. 
he's unbelievable uh, to this class because he's such a, a big, well-known name. Um, you know, every every kid in the country knows who Buki Radley Hiles is. Um, he's got underclassmen that, that tweet to him every single day, boy, my goal is to play just like you. Um, and, and he's got other high-profile guys that, uh, you know, that he knows across the country that want to play with him, that want to go to college with him. And uh, people listen to him. He's kind of a trendsetter. And so uh, what he does, people people take notice of. And what he says, uh, he says from the heart, and, uh, and and people take notice of that too. So he's going to be, um, you know, kind of the – the lead man, the point man of this recruiting class, and I and I think uh, you know much like Keyshawn Johnson Jr. was last year, but I think we could see Buki even kind of take things up a next level, another notch in this recruiting class, uh, being that point man. You're listening here to the Oscar Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we discuss the recruiting weekend as a whole, and Nate Mario Goodrich at Elite Summit West in Kansas City, another program where Nebraska's got great ties to Monte Harrison out of there. Uh, Bo, Bo Wilson uh, is a product out of Lee Summit West. Lots of speculation that he may have pulled the trigger silently this weekend. Four-star athlete slash defensive back. Uh, what's the latest you could share with us on Goodrich? Well, yeah, Goodrich had a, a, another great visit to Nebraska, um, and really, I, I think you know he told us that he's he's come he's going to Nebraska. He wants to commit to Nebraska. He just needs to get his the green light from his father to do so. His father was unable to make the trip uh, to Lincoln this past weekend. Otherwise, it probably would have happened while they were on campus. Um, you know, Oklahoma did come in with an offer recently, so I don't know how much that may or may not throw a wrench into his plans. But, um, you know, right now it's basically just convincing the dad to end the recruiting process right now and to jump on board with the Huskers. Um, whenever the dad gets becomes comfortable with that uh, scenario, it will be the point in time when, when Goodrich um, goes ahead and, and shuts it down because I think he's convinced that uh, Lincoln is the best place for him. He said he loves the location. His parents would be able to, to easily be able to get to Lincoln to, to watch him play. Um, obviously, he has a former teammate on the team with Bo Wilson, uh, he's very close. Monte Harrison is somewhat of a mentor to him. So Monte obviously has told him uh, all the great things about Nebraska and why he initially signed to play football and baseball at Nebraska. Um, so you know, all kind of everything's kind of pointing that direction. Plus, Dante Williams has a great relationship with Mario. So I think it's just a matter of time until this goes ahead and, and plays out. But uh, in the interim, you know, I think you can pencil in his his. Uh, his name on, on the commit list if you want to, because it's just, uh, I think, it's, like I said, just a matter of time until it actually happens. Nate, uh, you, you wrote something interesting this week in your uh, three and out column that you called Missouri the no-show-me state as um, you, Goodrich obviously showed up, but uh, the turnout, particularly St. Louis guys, I mean, there was so much uh, input into, oh, St. Louis, St. Louis, St. Louis. But to this point, the big fish that Nebraska would really want to get from that area um, in the 2018 class have really not been on the radar and and you don't really get a good feel at this point do you yeah it's you know it's starting to shape up like a lot of those players in, in Missouri outside of Mario Goodrich are going to be tough pulls for this year um, you know you had a guy like uh, Daniel Carson out of Independence Missouri who was supposed who had kind of said that he was going to be at the spring game he didn't show up uh, Ronnie Perkins the defensive end out of St. Louis said he was going to be there he didn't show up uh, Michael 
Marshall Thompson, uh, offensive lineman, defensive lineman out of uh, St. Louis Parkway North, said that he was going to be there, but he didn't show up. Um, you know, Trevor Trout was unable to make it this weekend. So uh, a lot of lot of high profile recruits in that Missouri uh, area, especially in the St. Louis area, that um, you know that you would have loved to have seen on campus. Uh, some of which said they were going to be there, but they just didn't show up for whatever reason. So um, you know that's kind of a little concerning, I guess. But at the same time, Nebraska's recruiting classes is at a limited point in numbers that I think. Um, you know, some of these guys might just be left out. Um, yeah, it's and, not like you should be upset. It's yeah, almost like you're selfishly upset because you want it all, but you're not going to get it all. Yeah, you're not going to get it all, and you're not going to get all these Missouri guys. And and yeah, it would be great if you did, but at the same time, I think I think what you're going to see is that this class is going to continue to fill up. And it's going to be, you know, I think it's going to be virtually 75 80% full by the time... Uh, Fall camp? Yeah, well... Easily by the time fall camp rolls around, July fourth. I, I, yeah, I think by July fourth, you're going to see this class be, um, you know, maybe just a handful of commits away from 13, being 14, maybe at that yeah, point. Yeah, from being completely full. So, um, you know, some of the missing out on some of these guys. Yeah, it, it might it might stink because they're they're right in your backyard. But at the same time, I don't think at the end of the day you're going to see you're going to see this be a huge disappointment. Uh, but if you do get a get a guy like uh, Mario Goodrich, that'll be a good thing. Um, and you know, and, and I know Nebraska is going to continue to to kind of go after um, you know a couple of defensive ends, especially like uh, Daniel Carson, and uh, and hopefully those guys do make it on campus at some point in time, maybe for a Friday Night Light camp or a Big Red Weekend, something like that. And yeah, Nate, as we wrap it up here, I want to talk defensive line numbers briefly with you here. Uh, you've got Mastery Maypu locked in at, at one, and he would, would he be a nose or a DN in this scheme? Nose. And then you've got Tate Wildeman, a defensive end out of Colorado. That's two. What is realistic, I mean, as far as how many more they can take? Could they get two more D-linemen in this class, or is it only going to be one? It's only going to be one. Uh, As the numbers stand right now, uh, when you look at available numbers in this class, and then especially the numbers that they have at each position, whether it be the nose tackle position or the defensive end position, I think – Best case scenario is you sign three total defensive linemen. You have one DN, you have one nose tackle. I I see there being one more. Kind of best available. Kind of best available. And, and, and probably your biggest need is still at the defensive end position. So they might conceivably be done at nose tackle. Uh, with the Maypew commitment. Um, and you got to really like Damian Daniels, and you get at least one more year out of Mick Stoltenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, you've got, and that's all because of what you have on campus already. And, and when you have a small class that you're, you're, you're pretty, you're pretty much bound by, um, you know, what your current numbers are and, and what, uh, what those openings are. So I think at this point in time, best case scenario is three total defensive, uh, linemen and, and which, which kind of sucks. It's going to, you know, a lot of, a lot of fans out there are going to hear this and be, you know, upset because they're in on a ton of really good, uh, defensive linemen across, across the country, including, you know, uh, tr- uh Calvin Avery, a Trevor Trout, you know all these all these big time defensive tackles and, and defensive ends. There's there's a lot of them out there, but I'd be surprised if they're able to add uh, any more than just than just one. And we knew going in, Nate, that this was going to be a class dominated by offensive or um, by receivers and and corners. I mean that was yep. the need. So 
um, then you can only work with what you have. And, and that wraps it up here. But we will continue to have complete coverage, um, still wrapping up visitor updates from the red-white game. So make sure you log on to Husker Online here over the weekend. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 